welcome to Speak Up and Stay Alive, Patient Safety Radio. I am your hostess, Pat Rulo, and September is Sepsis Awareness Month with September 13th as World Sepsis Day. Did you know that there are 27 to 30 million people per year who develop sepsis? That there are 7 to 9 million people who die with one death every 3.5 seconds? Does anybody know that? So exactly what is sepsis? What causes sepsis? When should you suspect that you may be on the receiving end of sepsis? Well, right now, I have two amazing women who know firsthand everything there is to know, and we are about to share lots of valuable life-saving information with you. Our first guest is a returning author whom I've interviewed previously and whose book won the Firebird Book Award. She is Maria Papalia Meyer, and her book is titled, I Am a Runner, The Memoirs of a Sepsis Survivor. And our second guest is Kim Steele, and she too has written a book based on her personal experience with sepsis, and it is titled, Living Life with No Limits. I am so looking forward to hearing about their journeys, as well as learning how we can steer clear from sepsis. So welcome, Maria and Kim. Hi, Pat. Thanks Thank so you. much for having us today. Oh, my, what a pleasure. What a pleasure, both of you. And welcome back, Maria. I so enjoyed our conversation last time, so I'm happy to have you back. And thank you for introducing me to Kim. Thank you so much. It's so nice to meet you, Pat. Thank you. You too, Kim. Well, now, I think it will be helpful if each of you shared your personal encounters with sepsis, uh, just a little brief overview. But first, in case we've got folks listening who aren't clear as to what sepsis really is, let's answer that question. What is sepsis? Sepsis is uh, your body's overwhelming uh, response to an infection. Um, It can lead to organ failure, tissue damage, and even death. Um, it's a serious medical emergency that requires rapid diagnosis and treatment. And sepsis can lead to severe sepsis and septic shock, which is what I, I had. I was, went into septic shock. Yes, it, and that is what I had as well. Um, and septic shock um, is when, when your blood pressure drops to dangerous levels um, and you start to have a shutdown of your of your organs, which unfortunately we both experience. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting because I think people think sepsis is a disease or something, but sepsis is a response to an infection, which then leads me to my next question is that lots of things can cause sepsis. It could be urinary tract, it could be uh, a dental infection. It could be all kinds of things that could ultimately lead to that outcome. Am I correct? Yes, That's correct. And I and and I think um, what I've been trying to do. I have a, a website called thetollestrunner.com, and what I've been trying to do is is post different ways that people can go septic, because I think it's important to know the signs and symptoms of sepsis. But I also think it's important to be able to identify different ways that you can go septic. So a UTI, you know, would I notice the symptoms of a UTI? And would I know when that UTI got severe, what I should do? I think knowing the causes and examining those symptoms could help prevent people from going uh, septic or into septic shock. 
Yeah, and you talk about U- a UTI, urinary tract infection. Most people just think that's rather benign, uh, that it's not going to, or that it doesn't have the potential to lead to something such as this. Yeah, but but it can. Um, if, if left untreated, it can get into your bloodstream and it can become more serious. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I was uh, talking about yesterday was on a um, another show in I was talking about the same kind of thing where knowing the signs and what to look for for these different things can prevent you from getting this sick. And one of the things that for me, um, I went septic from a strep infection. Uh, I started with a rash on my stomach that slowly spread to my arm. And I had never heard of a strep rash before. Mm. I didn't even know it existed. I didn't have any other symptoms at the time. Um, didn't have the sore throat. I just started with the rash. Then the next day I had the rash on my arms and I just thought I was allergic to something while I was working in the yard. Mm. But had I known what a strep rash looked like, I may have gone right to the doctor and I could have gotten treatment and it may have prevented me from getting as sick as I did. Uh, That's why during this month of Sepsis Awareness Month, I'm really trying to showed people different ways you can go septic. And the the best thing to do is to get on sepsis.org and read the stories of the faces of sepsis. So you can learn about individuals and what they went through um, because I think learning from them is, is the best way to prevent sepsis from, from happening. Mm-hmm. Hearing other stories. Let's just spend a couple, two or three more minutes, if you would, and just elaborate a little bit more on your journey, and then Kim, um, you can come in and share yours because I think they're both both important for our listeners to hear the, some of the consequences of it. Yeah. So for me, um, you know, like I said, it, it started with the with the rash, but I didn't think anything of it. Um, the next day, I went out for a run, like I did every morning with my neighbor. We did three miles, uh, six days a week. And when I got back from my run, I just felt a little fluey. I just wasn't feeling right. So I decided I was just going to pop an Advil and, and head into work. Um, but when I got to work, something came over me. I can't even explain what it was. or I just knew I didn't feel like myself, and I knew I couldn't stay there. Um, and honestly, I don't know how I got home. Uh, and during this time... Over the course of the next few days, you know, my urine um, output went down, um, which is a sign of of sepsis. Um, I laid in bed just moaning, not feeling well. But honestly, I thought it was the flu because, you know, I had no idea. And on the third day, my husband took me into the doctor's office and I could barely move two feet without having to sit down because I was out of breath. And it was there. Um, they put me on oxygen. Uh, they took me away in the ambulance. They they couldn't really even get a blood pressure on me. And I spent two weeks in the ICU in, in Boston. So what was the outcome? What eventually happened? So um, I was between the hospital and rehab for a little over seven weeks. I did lose my toes as a result of some of the meds I was given in the hospital. Um, my organs all failed, so to help keep them going in, in the blood flow to my organs, they gave me pressor meds, but when they did this, it took away the blood flow to my extremities. So 
So my hands had turned gray, uh, but when I woke up, my feet were black from my ankles to the tips of my toes. And eventually, um, I got home in August, and in October, I had my toes amputated. But I, I feel like a lot of this could have been avoided, one, if I had been able to recognize that the rash that I had that does start in the trunk of your body and then spreads to your arms, had I known that was a strep rash, I could have gone to the doctor sooner. Or when I called the doctor and said I wasn't feeling well on that Monday, I could have, should have said, you know, I have this rash on my stomach that's moved to my arm. And then maybe they would have said, oh, that's a strep rash. You need to come in and see us. But it was just a lot of not knowing and not not knowing really even what to share with them. You know, I said I had the flu, but did I tell them my, my urine went from being brown to having very little output? You know, that would have been a red flag to them. So I, I just feel like had I given more information on that initial phone call to them, that may have helped as well. Absolutely. Well, you don't know what you don't know. So it's, right. you know, that's, that's the point of having this conversation today. Hopefully we can um, set some alarms here. So folks begin to pay attention. Thank you for sharing that Maria. And Kim, would you share your journey a bit with us? I sure will. Um, I also have a website. <clears throat> It's called livinglifewithnolimits.net, and I also share um, different uh, information uh, regarding sepsis, and uh, my story is out there as well. Um, I started, I have Crohn's disease. I was diagnosed in 1992 with Crohn's disease, and when I had a colonoscopy, the doctor saw some spots that he was concerned with, so he put me on a new medication, um, and four days into that medication, I had a toxic reaction to it and went into anaphylactic shock. Uh, my husband rushed me to the emergency room, and when I got there, I coded three times. And on that third code, they uh, ventilated me and put me into a medically induced coma because I was fighting the ventilator. Uh, my body was so swollen, it, um, you couldn't recognize my neck from the rest of my body because I was so swollen. And by nightfall, my liver and kidneys started shutting down. Um, the medicine uh, started attacking other things in my body. So once that happened, I went into septic shock. Um, my family was told that I had a 9% chance of living and for them to tell me their goodbyes. Um, I was also given pressors because my blood pressure was so low. And um, when I woke up from my coma, I was lucky enough to survive. And I noticed that my hands were black. Um, I didn't notice my legs at the time because they were covered up and I was in ICU. Um, the doctors were telling me what was going to happen. And of course, um, I didn't really understand them because I was still so sedated with medication from what I was going through. Um, so it was not until I was in a regular room, the doctors come in and said that my hands and my legs would have to be amputated. My legs were black up to my knees and um, my hands 
and arms, about the middle of my arms were black. My The first doctor wanted to amputate me above my elbows and above my knees, and my family got, uh, said that there had to be another way because he was saying that since the, my legs were already and my feet were gangrene, they were afraid that it was going to spread even more, so they wanted to amputate immediately. Um, my family didn't want that, so they got a second opinion. So the doctors uh, decided that they would amputate my hands at the wrist, so I lost my hands on June the 6th, and the doctor that uh, w was going to do the surgery on my legs decided to use a medicine called Silvadine, and it's used for burn victims. And for three months, my legs were coated in that medication and wrapped to, and new tissue uh, started coming up on my legs and they would have to be debrided. And luckily, uh, in November, on November 15th, my legs were amputated below the knee. He was able to save more of my legs and that was more helpful for me to make it easier for me. So now I'm a quadruple amputee. Um, it, it was very hard at first, you know, knowing what was going to happen. I was running a fever. Um, I couldn't breathe. And I didn't know what sepsis was. I'd never heard of it. And I have learned so much about it now. And I'm a big advocate for sepsis. And I'm also a certified peer visitor with the Amputee Coalition for Amputees to help them know that no matter what you're faced with, you can live a productive life. These are just two incredible stories. Thank God you both survived and can be here to spread the word and enlighten other people. I have a question as I'm listening, Kim and, and, and Maria, to your story. Did the healthcare providers, didn't they see this happening or was it something that could have been anticipated on mine, um, there was blood work that could have been done before I was given that medication to see if I was allergic to that medication and that blood work was not done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I think for me, it was lack of knowledge on my part when I, when I was calling into the doctor to say I didn't feel well. Had I, had I mentioned some of the other things that were going on with me at the time, I think it would have triggered different questions for them to ask me mm -hmm. and maybe for me to have gone in sooner for an appointment instead of waiting from Monday to Wednesday. Um, I will say as soon as we did get to the doctor's office on Wednesday, the nurse came out right away because she could tell how sick I was, and she went and grabbed the doctor, and he had said that was the first time in all of his years of practice there, and he had been there for a while, that a nurse has ever gone to get him to come out to the waiting room right away. Mm -hmm. So for, for me, it, I think it was lack of knowledge, and I think that's why it's so important for me to have people read the stories, have people see what the signs uh, other people had that maybe they ignored and, and didn't look at right away um, because it, it can trigger questions for the healthcare professionals because I do think it has to be a two-way street. Mm -hmm. You know, they can't guess everything that's going on with you. You have to provide some of the information as well. 
Absolutely, yes. And as a patient advocate myself, that's why I feel that everybody needs to be informed whether you're going to be the patient or someone else so that let's say your family member and you've taken them in that's having these kind of symptoms and signs that you would know ahead of time what to bring to the doctor's office and what questions you should ask them and you know what you should share with them and people don't ask enough questions and feel free to do that so let's talk a little bit about a little deeper here as to some of the things patients should be asking and what happens if you get answers that you don't like i was just going to say when it comes to patient advocacy i know that um, my husband and I, when I got out of the hospital, I had been seeing a vascular doctor for my feet. And they were giving them time to self-amputate themselves before they were going to go ahead and, and do the amputations. And we had finally gotten to a point where he said, okay, I think this is the best they're going to they're gonna get. We should go ahead and do the surgery. And he was actually going to do a metatarsal amputation which would have left me with a lot less of my foot than what I have now. That was a big decision. Uh, before we made that kind of decision, we wanted to get a second opinion. And we were seeing the top vascular doctor at the hospital that I was at. And in his professional opinion, looking at my case, that was the best thing for me. But we wanted to get another opinion, so we asked to see an orthopedic doctor. He referred us to an orthopedic doctor who in turn referred me to the wound center in Boston, which ended up being a blessing because I would go there every week. And just like him, I went through the debriefing process with my foot, let new tissue come in. And in the end, I was actually able to save more of my foot um, than I would have had I just done the surgery based on what the vascular surgeon was saying. Mm -hmm. So that's what I, I like to tell people, even though you're seeing one of the best doctors, you know, in their opinion, they're, they're not wrong, but in their opinion, that is the best thing for you. But before you make a big decision like that, I always think that you should ask for a second opinion. Um, I agree with everything uh, that Maria said. I believe that um, if you are not sure, um, all doctors have different ways of treating people. And if you don't like uh, the outcome of what a doctor says, I always urge people as well to get a second opinion because um, like in my case, um, the first doctor wanted to just go ahead and do the surgery right away. Um, and it would have made my life harder um, if my legs would have been amputated above the knee and if I would have lost more of, of my arms because now, um, I do have prosthetics. Um, I have my electric hands and hooks um, that I use uh, to live with. And I can also do so much with my residual limbs because I have, I still have my arms, mm -hmm. even though I don't have my hands. Um, and it makes it just so much easier to be able to do, you know, everyday activities uh, like doing your hair or, or doing things on your own and not having to have a caretaker. Um, I'm fortunate. I, I, I can. I live independently. Um, I worked very hard in rehab. I spent 194 days in and out of the hospital and rehab facility uh, to get to where I'm at today. And I've been living on my own for four years now. 
Um, and I, and it's a blessing, um, going from a less than 9% chance of living because most people, uh, lose their lives to sepsis. Unfortunately, there's so many deaths. Right. Um, I mean, every second we're losing people to sepsis. Um, even with COVID, when they go into organ failure, um, it's related to sepsis. And I truly believe that, um, there needs to be, even though there's a lot of protocols in place and it's getting more and more um, awareness out there to the hospitals and they're putting more protocols in place, but we're still not there yet. Um, we're still not able to reduce these numbers that are climbing every day. And I think it's important that people educate themselves, get the second opinions, even if you have children, you know, you have children that can, that are affected and die from this as well. And I think it's just so important that people advocate for their health care because in the end, we are the ones responsible for what happens to us. And we have to be the ones to advocate and ask the questions and be persistent in those questions and wanting to know what's going on with our bodies. And I think one of the things that you had asked, like I, I think it does have to be a conversation with with the doctor. And if you bring somebody into the into the hospital or the doctor's office, some things to look at um, to see if they're going septic would be like blood pressure, heart rate, your breathing rate, temperature, oxygen level in the blood. You know, just different things in in temperature. Just just to have them look for those kinds of things to see if there's anything that is, you know, I don't want to say out of whack, but those those things are some things to look at or ask when you go into a medical facility, have those things checked right away. I think you say on your Facebook page, Kim, that the thing about sepsis is it's the gift that keeps on giving. Absolutely. It is the gift that keeps on giving. Post-sepsis syndrome, I have it. Um, most a lot of people that has gone septic uh, that has survived and they deal with the same uh, things that I did. At first, my hair was falling out by the handfuls. I had to end up cutting it off short. Um, you have memory issues, um, PTSD. Um, you have nightmares. There's so many things that go along with post-sepsis syndrome that I deal with on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, it is the gift that keeps on giving. And unfortunately, um, we have to, you know, we deal with it on a daily basis and we do the best that we can. Um, and now with me, anytime that I get sick, I'm so afraid that I'm going to go septic again mm -hmm. uh, because you can easily... People that have had sepsis before can so easily go septic again. And if I start running a fever, um, like here recently, I started running a fever of 104.7, I immediately went to the emergency room and I told them that I had been in septic shock before. Uh, they immediately did blood work. They found my white blood cell count was high. Um, I had a UTI that I didn't even have no symptoms of, had no clue that I had a UTI. Yep. They immediately uh, put me on fluids and antibiotics at the hospital. Um, and that that is one of the things that I make sure if I do go to the emergency room 
I do inform them of what I've been through so that they are on top of it and do what they need to do um, to make sure that there's not anything going on in my body that could cause me to go septic again. It's scary. Um, it's very scary. And I, I will say that I, for the first six months after I got out of the hospital, I went to the doctor all the time to have them check my white blood cell count if I wasn't feeling well. Then I, I kind of moved away from that a little bit to right before we went out of town, I always went to see my doctor just to make sure I was okay before I traveled because I had gotten sick right after we got back from visiting my husband's family. So the travel part had me a little, little uneasy. Um, the kids, you know, with strep, strep can come into your body so many different ways. It can have, you can have a headache and an upset stomach. Um, I didn't have a sore throat and, and you don't have to have a sore throat. I've heard some moms say that they can tell by just being near their child what their breath smells like that they've got strep. Um, so my poor kids, I would say for the first <laughs> six months as well, if they said they weren't feeling well, off to the doctor we went for a strep test. Right. And uh and so that that's our our way of life for a while because that fear of not knowing was there. Mhm. Well, on a positive note, Maria, I know your story is that you're still running marathons now, right? I am training for my third half marathon, <laughs> which is supposed to take place next month in Savannah. Oh my gosh. Um hopefully it doesn't get canceled again. Um, I am working on things right now. I have, um, working with my physical therapist and some other people, I'm going to try and run Chicago in 2022. Uh, so I'm, that's my next, my next project and what I'm working on. Now, see, you just give inspiration and hope, you know, people are down and out for little things and here you've had this major life experience and you just keep going so thank you for being inspiring I'm, I'm so inspired by both of you that you can survive this and get out there and talk about it and I know that you've even started the two of you together have started a foundation do you want to share that yeah so the the name for it is why limit yourself and it's kind of a, a play on words but um, you know one thing that I've learned and, and Kim can talk a little bit more about this is you have individuals that insurance will pay for maybe a set of legs or an arm or something that somebody needs, but they don't cover everything that a person would need to get back to a functioning life. You know, um, they're not allowed, you know, I've read about people that can, can get a leg for walking, but if they want to run, for them to get a running leg is either way too expensive because insurance won't cover it um, and it, it's something you know out of their reach so we want to be able to help people get what they need to get back to as normal of a lifestyle as they can excellent why limbit yourself that's an awesome name i'm also a lead advocate for the amputee coalition and it's unfortunate that insurance companies do not think that prosthetic legs are a necessity. Um, it's 
there is a bill that we are trying to get passed that we are fighting for to get passed in Congress to get better health care options for people who are amputees, to get the, um, the prosthetics and the things that they need to live and have a good functioning life. Um, it's sad um, because I had wanted some other things, you know, for me, but it would have to come out of my own pocket, and they are so expensive. And that's why I want uh, we created this organization um, to be able to help others that want to do the same to get back out there even though there are so many organizations out there that you can apply for grants for, but they limit those numbers to how many people who can apply and who get those grants. And we want to make sure that if somebody can't get a prosthetic leg or, or whatever they need, we want to make sure that we're able to provide either the resources or be able to provide what they need to them um, through our organization. Um, I have wrote to our senators here in Georgia. I did get a response back from one of them um, that he would, once that bill come across the floor, he would vote in favor for that. Um, so we need people to get out there, even if you're not affected by sepsis or, or if you're not an amputee, Help us advocate to get these bills passed, write your senators, your Congress, um, to help us get the things that we all need because you, you never know. It, it could happen to anybody, yes. and that's what I tell anybody. You know, you, it's, it's something that you would never think that would happen to you, but it can so easily happen, and I, if we can prevent this and help prevent this and save lives. That's what we're here to do. Thank you. Why don't yeah, you it, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No. So I was just going to say it, your life can change in a blink of an eye. You know, I went from celebrating my 40th birthday with everybody. We brought home a new puppy. Life was going on just as normal. And, and then right after my 40th birthday, everything changed yep. and our and our whole life changed forever and you know like Kim said this can happen to anybody and if we can get the word out on on how people can go septic and um you know having people read these stories because like I and I I know I keep saying it but a lot of us thought we had the flu and we didn't have the flu I think from reading people's stories and knowing what their symptoms were on the onset can let you look at your own symptoms and what you're going through and think, ooh, mm -hmm. could this be a UTI and could I be getting really sick from this? You know, and I, I keep bringing up UTIs because I think they're the most common. common. Mm -hmm. um, and I need to go see my medical provider. But um, I went with my brother uh, last week he had to get his wisdom teeth pulled, so I had to drive him home. And we're sitting in the dental office and just having casual conversation. And this gentleman showed me where he had to have his finger amputated, just like above the knuckle. And he said it was a work accident. Uh, he went to the doctor. You know, they 
before it was uh, amputated. He went to the doctor, got on medicine, and the next day, uh, even though he was on an antibiotic, he noticed a red line was going all the way up his arm. And he thought, ooh, this doesn't look good. And he had the sense to go to the doctor right away. And they had to put him on IV antibiotics to stop the infection. And then, you know, he had to have the top of his finger amputated. But I, I think too many times people would go to the doctor for something, get an, an antibiotic. And if you're not feeling right after a few days, you, you may need to go back. It might not be the right one to fight the infection you have, or the infection might be so bad that maybe you need to go and get the IV antibiotic. You know, there are all things that you need to be on the lookout for and, and know your body and not be afraid to call the doctor. And it has to be a two-way conversation. Um, that medical provider, you know, after talking to some of them, that this isn't always the first thing that they think of when somebody comes in. That's why it's got to be a two-way street. You've got to go in armed with knowledge so you can ask questions. And then maybe we can put an end to so many people getting sick and dying or having to lose limbs from, from sepsis and septic shock. Oh, so well said. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Why don't you both share then any websites your websites or any other places where you think where you think folks can go to uh, gather more information uh, there's so many different websites that you can go to of course my website um, has information on there and uh, that's living life with no limits dot net dot uh, org um, even um, the UK sepsis trust even though it's not here in the United States uh, World Sepsis Day. There's, uh, they have a wealth of knowledge out there for what sepsis is, uh, what's being done uh, to reduce the number of lives, uh, the protocols that's being put in place. Um, I know that sepsis.org is working on doing a lot more uh, education. Uh, they have a lot of educational things that you can. Um, uh, sign up for. We have a summit that's coming up soon that you can join. Um, it, it has doctors there talking about sepsis. Um, I encourage uh, anyone even uh, to register. It's a free seminar. Um, it's for a couple of days that you can go on there. They also record it where you can watch it later. Uh, um, I think uh, that would be real informative if they would uh, go and just listen to what's being done, uh, what protocols that they are starting to put in place in the healthcare field, in the hospitals. Um, and I think, you know, we're working on also wanting to go to doctor's offices and have them put posters up about sepsis. So people, when they're sitting in the doctor's office waiting for their appointment, People always read things that are on the wall. Uh, put that information up there. Put things out there, uh, pamphlets, for people to take home with them. Um, I think that is that is key, and it should be in every doctor's office. I agree. I agree. Um, and then I, I have the tolistrunner.com is, 
is my website. I always tell people it's a work in, in progress because I'm doing it all on my own. <laughs> um, and I have no clue what I'm doing. But um, I the do same. have a, a, a thing that is uh, a link for sepsis education. And then I also have one for sepsis collaboration. Um, because I have talked to people from all over and learned what different states are doing and different protocols. So as I find that information, I'm actually putting links um, links on my website. So when people go and, and they look, they can see what different areas are doing. And if a medical professional does look at the site, then maybe they can see what's happening in New York, because I do know that they have more stringent rules as far as uh, educating the, the nurses and uh, medical staff on sepsis than maybe an, another state does. Right. Um, so I, I'm hoping to spread awareness that way as well. Uh, for the month of September, I am running a contest. Uh, last week, I asked people to change their profile pictures to the sepsis ribbon, and I gave away an UGG blanket with my butterfly logo on it. Um, this week, I'm asking people to go in and sign up for my website just to register for mail. Um, and I, I'm doing that because I do post a lot of information on here about sepsis, and I'm hoping that that gets them to the site so they can learn learn more information. Um, so for the month of September, I am running little, little contests because I, I think too often the audience that we tailor to are people that know somebody that's gone septic or they themselves have gone septic. And I think that what we need to do is get it out there to the masses, people that have no clue what sepsis is, um, so we can educate those individuals. And I, I think that's why I came up with the Toolist Runner as a name, because I figured if people see it, it would be something catchy and maybe they'd want to Google it, and in Googling it, it would take them to the site, and, and they could learn more about me and, and my journey and sepsis as well. So both websites, Kim's website is livinglifewithnolimits.net, and Maria's site is thetolisrunner.com. Also, you can go to sepsis.org. All right, well, as we begin to wrap up here, any final thoughts, anything you want to um, talk about that we didn't just as a way in closing? One thing that this has done for me, I know I say I live independently. I just want to let everyone know that sometimes when you're married, your spouse may not understand and accept what is going on. And unfortunately, um, mine didn't. So, um, I lost my family, um, but also one thing that this has done has made me do things out of my comfort zone that I would have never done um, if I wouldn't have lost all of my limbs. I have been skydiving, I've ziplined, I've snorkeled, and um, I'm planning for Sepsis Awareness Month to, uh, I have gonna do a mile. My brother's gonna pull me on a tube on the lake and I'm going to do a mile, something that I haven't done since I became uh, amputee. And that is going to be my mile for for September Awareness Month. And I'm excited to get that video done and upload it to my YouTube channel that I have. But I just want to say that no matter what you're faced with, if you choose 
you can do anything that you want to. And what I always say is that what happened to me has not defined me. It has made me who I am today. And I'm very thankful to be here and to be able to do what I do. You two touch my heart. I am so impressed by the things that you you are able to accomplish that most people just kind of give up on. So not only informative today, but extremely, extremely inspiring. God bless both of you. Thank you for the work you do. Head over to their websites, livinglifewithnolimits.net and The Tolis Runner. Maria and Kim, thank you so, so much for today. Thank you, Pat, for having me.